We're continuing our look at uh, Romans 2, this uh, great uh, uh, first three chapters of the book of Romans where Paul uh, is addressing everyone uh, about our deep need. Uh, but before I read this text this morning, uh, join me in prayer. Father, we come to you today and we confess our drive uh, for the praise of others, the praise of ourselves. We uh, confess before you that uh, we uh, are quick to condemn uh, and slow to repent. And so, uh, by your Spirit today, would you give us uh, the joy of restoration, the joy of redemption, that you would help us uh, to know uh, that our only hope, and it is a strong and good and eternal hope, is you. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Romans 2, 17 through 29. Text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew as merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter." His praise is not from man, but from God. And one of the great things and one of the horrible things about being alive today is the fact uh, that we have readily available knowledge about everything, right? Any question you might have, anything you might wonder about, any person you might be curious about, you can whip out your phone, do the Google, and... You've got 40, 50, 60 uh, things about whatever it is you're looking for. It's great, and it's so dangerous. Um, uh, this week, <clears throat> uh, I had lunch with uh, uh, someone who's been one of my best friends for more than 40 years. I'm not exaggerating, more than 40 years. We were roommates our first year in seminary, and then he and his wife got married uh, right uh, before uh, Marty and I did, and they lived in the uh, married student apartments. We lived in the apartment above, and they lived in the apartment below us. Dear friend, uh, 
He's been a faithful church planter and missionary. Uh, we, uh, thankfully, for the last 22 years, he's been in Virginia, and we get together a couple of times a year, and like old men do, we complain and laugh and, you know, look around at all the guys that we were in school with who washed out of the ministry and kind of pat ourselves on the back that, you know, we're still at it and scared to death that we're not going to finish well. So we were talking, laughing, having a good time, and he said, well, you know, I need to tell you about something. Uh, And he held up his phone, and he showed me on his phone a message on his medical portal that he had refused to open until uh, he was going to wait a couple of days until he talked to his oncologist, but there was the diagnosis on his phone. Now, he had an appointment with an oncologist on Friday, but Thursday night, uh, his curiosity got the best of him, and he opened it, and he read it. And he and his wife, of course, did what we would do. What does the Mayo Clinic have to say about this? What does WebMD have to say about this? What does the Cleveland Clinic have to say about this? What does MD Anderson have to say about this? So he has an incurable cancer that's treatable, right? But he got that information uh, and it wrecked him. You and I are no different. It's a curious thing when you think about Paul writing this letter. It's one thing when we read in the first chapter of Romans about those outside the church, those people who live an ungodly and unrighteous and, um, you know, an autonomous life. And they are called to account. It is another thing for people like us religious people, and by the way, religion's a good thing. It's not bad. Um, Your relationship to your religion might be a bad thing, but religion is not bad. The fact of the matter is, uh, information, and we have more information at our hands now spiritually about Theology and the Bible than in any time in history is so dangerous. Because the problem for us is, is that we tend to think that knowledge, knowing the truth, is what sets us apart. And while the truth is good and necessary, and essential for our lives, it also can be deadly to us. Because you see, what happens to us is is that the truth becomes the truth, but not our truth. It's not something that we internalize, but something we use as a weapon. We weaponize it, not even against ourselves to help us come to grips with 
our own neediness, but to lift our eyes to those around us and to tempt us in ways uh, that often, though we know much, we demonstrate how little it is impacting us. Um, It's an interesting thing to think about. Brian, you can put my my notes up there. Kind of in summary, in today's text, Paul deals with a form of resistance. And this is the thing that he's been getting at all along in these first couple chapters of Romans is that inherent in every human being is the drive to suppress the knowledge of God, to resist the truth about him and uh, the truth about ourselves. It's something that we, we do. And, and it's interesting, right? I mean, we read, we read a few weeks ago as we began this series, that list of names of those people there in the church in Rome. And there are people in the church in Rome who are, uh, uh, um, you know, world-class Christians, people who have traveled all over uh, uh, the world spreading the gospel, people who actually discipled and taught Paul himself. And yet he has this word for them and for us this morning that we must be careful with what we know. And we must be careful with what we do with the truth. And that the truth first and foremost must be something that comes to us, right? So we, he's dealing with this form of resistance that we all have that is common among those of us who are religious and who believe in the Bible as God's word and who even have responsibilities to preach or teach. Every Christian has the responsibility to give an account for the hope that is within them. So we all fall under this. The resistance is the assumption that having so much revelation and so much knowledge and so much truth, our business is to set each other right rather than to repent ourselves. This is a huge, huge danger. In fact, it is probably the biggest danger to every single person in the sound of my voice this morning. Because here you are, you're at church on Sunday morning. You're probably religious, right? So what are we to make of this? Well, uh, next slide, please, Brian. One One of the things to think about this, imagine if this text began, but if you call yourself a Christian, right? Or down uh, towards the end, for no one is a Christian who is merely one outwardly, but a Christian is one inwardly, right? And so we have to get at this, right? We, we have to be uh, clear and, and careful about how uh, we think about this and what we do with what we know. As you read your Bible day to day, do you apply the truth to yourself? What is your motive when you read the Bible? Is it just to have knowledge of it so you can show others how much you know? That's what Paul is getting at where he says here at the end, his praise is not from man, but from God. Or maybe even our own self-praise. See how well taught I am. See how, how much I know. Is it just to have knowledge of it so you can show others how much you know and argue with them? Or are you applying the truth to yourselves? As you read, say to yourself, this is me. You know, one of the, the uh, great uh, uh, stories, one of the great identifiers of people who actually have a real relationship 
through the truth of the gospel with Jesus Christ is they're like David. When David hears the word of the Lord from the prophet Nathan, what does he say? I am the man. It's me. It's me. It's not these other folks. It's not the other people who are the problem. This is me. What is it saying about me? Allow the scriptures to search you. Otherwise, it can be very dangerous. There's a sense in which the more you know of the Bible, the more dangerous it is to you. You know, um, one of the things that I am proudest of uh, as a suburban Richmonder is my lawnmower. I love my lawnmower. It's, it's, a, it's a super lawnmower. It is uh, it was manufactured by a world-class corporation that makes cars, many of which are in our parking lot. Uh, I love that lawnmower. And I uh, got it for half price, and it mulches, it has these great blades, it's, it's wonderful. Um, part of the problem, though, with having a great lawnmower in Richmond is that we have to start cutting our grass nowadays in February, and, um, but then you don't have to cut it much after June, you know, because it quits raining here, and uh, it's dry, and so the lawnmower sits in the shed, and if I don't remember to do something about the gas in the lawnmower, you know, you know your gas has corn syrup in it? Did you know that? That's what ethanol really is. Um, Americans, you know, we, we love our corn, and so we even put it in our gas, which is a good thing. But what that corn does to your lawnmower is it crystallizes and gums it up so that it won't run. So I took my lawnmower in this week and got it all cleaned out and got it fixed up. And the guy was looking at it, and he was looking at the blades, and he said, you know, you need to lower these blades down, or this lawnmower's not going to do you any good. When we take what we know and apply it to others first, before we have the truth do its work on our hearts and souls, we're like a fine running, beautiful piece of machinery that is ineffective. And so what Paul wants is for us to be renewed first and foremost by what we know before we set ourselves on the task of correcting, teaching, rebuking others, right? Because it's interesting what he says here. He, does, he never says there's anything wrong with the law. In fact, the law is good. It is a revealer to us of the God who loves us and who made us. Um, but if it becomes a weapon in our hands, then he has words to say to us. Next slide, please, Brian. Because look at what he says, the kinds of people, the people that rely on the law. We rely on the word of God. We boast in this God. We know what he wills and we approve the things that are essential that God says to us as right we should because it is the truth and it is God's truth and it is for us our very lives. 
But then he goes on to say what we do with that truth and how we relate it to others, that we are confident that we ourselves are guides to the blind, that we are a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature. And the fact of the matter is, if you are a Christian today, you should do all of these things. You should be confident that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature. But the issue for us is, have we done that to ourselves first? Do we see ourselves as people who might be blind, people who might stumble around a bit in the darkness, a people who might tend towards the foolish and the immature, right? And so what's interesting about this is, is that the truth is something that we hold on to, but the manifestation of the truth and the way that I know and the way that you will know that we have the truth in us is manifest in the way and not so much the way in which we speak or even that of that which we speak, but how we love. Because the issue for the law is love of God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love for our neighbors as ourselves, right? And so the depth of the truth in us will not be uh, shown so much by our ability to win arguments. The depth of the truth in us won't be so much our ability to point out the sin in others, but the depth of the truth in us will be revealed by the humble recognition that our only hope is in Jesus Christ and that he is our savior, that he is the one who has saved us and that humility and that recognition of who we are is what will drive us to love our enemies and to love those that are set against the truth, right? So what we wanna make sure that we do here and that that we're very careful and aware of is in all of our knowledge and all of our discipling and all of the means whereby we get to know the word of God is this, that the upshot of this is that the law itself becomes a means of boasting, not a means of love. We wanna avoid that. And maybe not just boasting, but of the kind of tisk tisk shaking our heads at those around us who don't have as much of the truth as we do. Love uses truth to bless others, but sin uses truth to exalt self. Both use truth, and it is true, and it is, uh, it, we must have the truth. Both can use the Bible, but one, only one is really taught by the truth and taught by the Bible, because it will manifest itself in the way in which we live and love with others. Um, One of the biggest regrets, probably the biggest regret that I have in my life was what of, of all the mistakes I made and I continue to make as a dad. Um, And if if you're not a parent, bear with me as, as I tell you this, because this, this is how this manifests itself in my life. I, you know, I would always just be stunned by the reckless disobedience of my kids. Just stunned. And I would always come at them from the standpoint of, how could you do that? Why did you do that? Which, by the way, Parenting 101, never ask your kids why they did anything, because they don't know why they did it. And why do you do what you do? Right? 
So, um, I mean, the, the honest answer is, why did you do that? Because I am a sinner, and I am opposed to your authority in my life, and I'm opposed to most authority in my life. That's why I did it, right? God loves an honest man. So, uh, it's right to correct. God holds me accountable as a parent to correct my children. I'm supposed to do that. That's my job. But the posture from which I correct my children is the issue. Uh, recently, my almost 30-year-old son was home visiting with us, and uh, he is... You know, if, you know, there's a million different kinds of personality tests out there, but the one that I like the most is the one that compares personality types to dogs, to breeds of dogs, you know? There are some people who are golden retrievers, right? They just, they just love you, they just wanna be with you, they just want you to pet them and tell them you're great and they're great and you know, you just love you a golden retriever, right? But they get, you know, sometimes they get in your house and they swing their tail and they knock your drink off the table, right? So, so everybody has the great things about them and the bad things about them. Well, I have a, I have a Jack Russell Terrier in my family. Jack Russell Terriers are really cute, really cute, so cute, so handsome, uh, and, and so much fun to be around. And they can run 10 miles a day. I'm not exaggerating. 10 miles a day. Their legs are this long. And, if, and here's the thing, if they don't run 10 miles a day, you can't live with them because there's so much energy, so much. What are we going to do? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do? Let's do this. Let's go. Da, da, da. So he's talking to me and he's saying, Dad, what are we going to do? When are we going to eat dinner? When are we going to go do this? When are we going to do that? What, Dad, what are we, when are we going to do this? And I am, and he's like, Dad, what are you doing? What are you even doing? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm you know, you're, your mom fell, and she, you know we got to get her through all this surgeries and all this kind of stuff. So he's like, "Well, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Guy, I'm feeding the birds." He's like, "What? What are you doing?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm feeding the birds." Why are you feeding the birds? I said, "Because I'm just like you." And he said, "What do you mean you're just like me?" I said, "I got to be doing something." And so I'm standing around here not doing anything. I look outside, the birds need to be feeding. I can do that. It'll make me feel better if I do something. Do you ever feel that way, guy? You know? Yeah, you know, I'm like, see, we're just alike. I should have told my kids a lot more that we're just alike. Desperate. Broken. Sinners with our only hope in Jesus. Instead of saying, you know, it would have been better for me to have spent much more time saying, you know, I get why you did that. I do rebellious things too. Right? And my hope, my, uh, uh, the way I process that is I cry out to the only one 
who can save me. You see, that gives evidence to us that first and foremost, we have internalized the law, not as something with which we only see it as a means to correct, but we allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to correct us. That doesn't mean that we never correct others. But there's a whole world of difference between the way in which we correct others having been corrected by the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the patience of our God first as we go to address the sins of others. So Paul goes on then here to talk about circumcision. Now, <clears throat> circumcision might make you a little uncomfortable, and we're like, why is there so much talk about circumcision? Well, circumcision was a means whereby, and a, and a thing, a ritual that the, the Jewish people did that, they, uh, that marked them off from the rest of the world, that it was a way for them to demonstrate their covenant faithfulness and the fact that they belong to this God and that God had given them this to mark them off from everyone else. Well, Paul tells us how to think about circumcision here and also in Colossians 2, because he says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, what Paul wants us to come to grips with is, and the, the thing that is so important is we will content ourselves with an outward form of righteousness, that we will content ourselves. Uh, and the way you know that you're contenting yourself with that is you look, at, you look at the world around you and you look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not that. That's not who I am. But what, what he wants us to see here is, is that the circumcision that he's talking about is not just the ability to know the law and not just the ability to have the facts, but to have those facts do their work on our hearts and our souls. Not to condemn us, but to show us our need, to show us what love would look like to guide us into that so that we are humbled as we go about the business of telling the truth to ourselves first and to others. Every week uh, in our worship service, as we gather together, we take the Lord's Supper. And during this period of time, every week we have been uh, saying together in agreement uh, the creed. And what do we say in the creed is, is that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
When we eat the bread and we drink the cup together, we are saying that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we are saying not just that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, but we're saying we believe in the forgiveness of my sins. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins by using this confession based on Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy." On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. The word of the cross uh, is the truth. Christ crucified is the truth. Uh, our only hope uh, in the world in which we live is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. And it is a sure and deep and eternal hope. As we take the bread and as we drink the cup, we hear these words from Jesus, right? Where he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, what you are saying about yourself is the necessity of the forgiveness of your sins. Not just sins you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but the sins you're doing right now. The sin you are caught in, the sin 
that plagues you, the sin that you're not even that aware of that is true of you now. Because you see, what the truth is, is it's always fresh, and it's always readily applicable to our hearts and our lives in the here and now. And so, when we see the truth, and we hear the truth, and we resonate with the truth, we resonate with it and in it because it applies to us. It changes us. It humbles us. It gives us the joy of sins forgiven and the complete work that Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That is what we hold on to. And when the gospel is fresh on me, on you, when the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ to us for our unrighteousness is fresh to us, the inward work that needs to be done is being done. And that should encourage us and give us hope. That's the point, that Jesus saves sinners of which you and I are numbered in that group. That's good news for us. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you uh, have no other hope except in this work of Jesus Christ for you, if you have come to that place in your spiritual life where you know that there is no other salvation found anywhere else except in Jesus Christ, and you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He has set a place at his table for you. He greets you warmly and takes you uh, in uh, to uh, his table into his very self because that's what he has done for me and for you. As the elders come down front uh, this morning to assist us, assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice. Underneath each cup is a gluten-free wafer. If you are unable to come down front, raise your hand, and uh, we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Once everyone has been served, we'll eat and drink together.